in the five minutes remaining after the children's sermon. I'd like to use my time. No. It is good to be back. Uh, I mentioned that Carolyn and her family were on the road on vacation. Uh, Rick and Janine are also gone today, as you have noticed. I want to thank Susan for filling in, uh, and Free for playing the organ for us, and our clarinet choir. It's just so good to be blessed with so much talent. Uh, and I'll tell the choir, I told my wife this yesterday. I sang that song almost 40 years ago with Dottie Gray, who's usually in the balcony, uh, in, youth choir, in youth choir, and Brian Germano, Brian is now the pastor at First Methodist Church LaGrange. His parents, of course, Don and Sarah Mack, are active members of our church at 8.30. The three of us grew up singing in youth choir together, and we did that song probably right after it was written nearly 40 years ago. So you all do it so much better than we did, by the way. Our scripture this morning, oh, also, being back, I did want to say thank you to Allison and to Carolyn uh, for preaching over the last three weeks while I've been gone on vacation and mission trip. I know that you are blessed and I'm grateful for the gifts that God has given them uh, and for their willingness to share what God laid on their hearts over the last three weeks. So thank you. Our scripture this morning comes to us from, second, from Colossians, the second chapter, verses 6 through 10. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, or as always, it's on the cover of your bulletin. As you're able, if you would, please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you are taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. and Let us pray. Now, dear Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. It's not what you know, it's who you know. You've heard that expression, right? It's not what you know, it's who you know. We see it lived out time and time again. I have a friend who taught in a private school for 40 years. Both his daughters went through the school. His oldest went on to college and law school. She graduated law school, and I knew she was looking for a firm with which to clerk upon graduation. And I asked her, have you found a place? And she named a very well-known and prestigious law firm in Atlanta. I said, wow, that must be very competitive. She said, yes. I said, well, I know you're excited to have earned a place. And she said, well, sort of. I said, sort of? She said, yeah, one of the partners is one of my dad's former students. He made a phone call for me. See, it's not what you know, it's who you know. 
I have a friend whose son graduated with a marketing degree. I said, has he found work? He said, no, he didn't find work. I found him work. I said, what do you mean you found him work? He said, I have a friend who owns a marketing business. I took him to lunch, and I begged, and my son has a job. It's not what you know. It's who you know. One of the times that was most evident for me was in 2003, in the middle of Baghdad, believe it or not. I was there as an army chaplain. When we arrived and set up our post, the place had been bombed by our Air Force and then looted by locals. So nothing worked. There was no electricity. There were no telephone lines. There was no internet. In time, we got electricity first, and then they started working on communication, phone lines, and internet. It slowly worked its way across post, but not to the chapel. And so finally, I went to the communications unit, and I said, I don't want to be impatient, and I'm not in a rush. I'm just curious. Eventually, we get a phone line and internet to the chapel. They said, oh, yes, sir, by the end of the week. I said, all I need to know. Thank you very much. End of the week came and went, nothing. I went back. I said, okay, just checking. And they said, well, chaplain, we looked at it, but because of where the chapel is located and the terrain, and they explained it to me, they said, we just can't do it. I said, never? They said, it can't be done. So the next day, I was lamenting to my friend Rich Bauer from New Jersey. Rich also is a chaplain, a full bird by rank. And I told him what I had been told. And he grinned, put his arm on my shoulder, his hand on my shoulder, and he said, let me take care of this. I know their colonel. Colonel to colonel, I'll take care of this. I said, that's what I want to hear. Thank you, sir. Next day, Rich comes in and he says, I got the same answer you did. He said, they would do it if they could. They simply cannot. I said, okay. His chaplain assistant, young man named Carlos Ramirez from New York City, said, sirs, I got this. They're NCOIC, their highest ranking enlisted officer. He said, he is one of my bunkmates. I'll get him on this. We'll get this done. I said, great. Next day, Carlos came in and he said, sirs, it can't be done. I said, okay, three strikes, we are out. It was worth a shot. The next day, I'm lamenting to my chaplain assistant, young woman named Sabrina Hayes from Houston, Texas. And I said, Sabrina, and she spent more time in the chapel than I did. I said, Sabrina, I've been trying to get you a phone line and internet, but they can't do it. It cannot be done. And she looks at me and she says, Specialist Price would do that for me, sir. Specialist Price was a low-ranking soldier in the communications shop who happened to have a crush on my chaplain assistant. She said, Specialist Price would do that for me, sir. I said, it's not that they can't do it. Not that they won't do it. They can't do it. And she says, Specialist Price would do that for me, sir. 
I said, Sabrina, I'm sure he would if it was doable. It's not that we can't find someone to do it. Their full bird colonel is telling us it is physically impossible. And she looks at me very calmly, very patiently, and says a third time, Specialist Price would do that for me, sir. Let me ask him. I said, make yourself happy. Go ask. The next day, guess what? Telephone and internet in the chapel. (laughs) It's not what you know. It's who you know. You see that lived out all kinds of ways. But what might surprise you is it's not a new philosophy. It's been around a long time. As a matter of fact, it's what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church in our scripture this morning. It's not what you know, but who you know. Paul, in writing to the Colossian churches, focuses on the person and work of Christ Jesus. Paul writes in soaring language about who Christ is and how Christ is ruler over all things. If you've ever read it, it's a short letter, four chapters. But if you want the Reader's Digest version, look at chapter 1. Six short verses. Verses 15 through 20 of chapter 1. This is what they say. He is the image, he that being Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created. Things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Hear that soaring language? Paul wanted to make sure that they knew Christ was over all things. He wanted to make sure they knew that since they had accepted Christ, they needed to live for Christ. You would think that went without saying, but he says it anyway in our passage this morning. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him. And then he gives a word of caution in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. Now you may think, was Paul really worried about a philosophy taking them captive? He was. The Greek word here for philosophy refers to a very specific philosophy. Some Jews who believe that their, that their understanding and their knowledge and their interpretation and their practice of Jewish law 
was the only way to God. If you did not see the law as they saw the law, if you did not interpret the law the way they interpreted the law, if you didn't know it the way they thought it should be known, then you were lost. They thought their knowledge was the secret. They thought their knowledge was the key. Paul says, don't be taken captive by that. It is empty deceit. Don't get caught up in any human tradition. Traditions are great. We love our traditions. But don't let them be the ruler and the be-all, end-all, Paul says. And don't, he says, worry about the elemental spirits of the universe. There were those then, like there are today, who believed that if they studied the stars just so, they would gain the knowledge to tell people what to do and how to live, the elemental spirits of the universe. Paul says, don't get caught up in that. All these people think they know how things ought to be done. Don't be taken captive because it's not what you know. It's who you know. I read a story about a small town out west. A new a car, plant, car company had started a new plant. So that brought new jobs to the area, brought some secondary suppliers, people who sold tires, people who sold parts. So it was a big economic boom for this community. One of the first people to move with the car company said, there's potential here. If I'm going to live here and raise my family here, I want to see more businesses come, and there's possibility for economic development. He started talking to people, and he met with the mayor, and he felt like the mayor just didn't understand their potential for the future. He thought, somebody should challenge this guy, but nobody did. He said, well, I'm new in the community, but I understand economic development. He challenged the mayor. He went to every civic club, every audience that would listen, and cast for them a vision for their future. This is what it could be. He challenged the sitting mayor to a debate on economic development. And even when the debate was over, even the mayor said, you know, you know, that, you know a lot more about this than I do. And the fellow thought, I can't lose. Even my opponent concedes, I know more. All there was left was to wait on the election, to wait on the landslide victory. Well, there was a landslide victory, but not the way he thought. He lost in a landslide. He couldn't believe it. He started asking all these people that seemed interested in his plan why they voted for the mayor who didn't know anything about it. And they said, well, you know a lot about your area. He knows us. You never seemed really interested in knowing us. They wanted that relationship more than they wanted all his knowledge. It's not what you know. It's who you know. Paul says a lot of people think they know things and that that's the final answer. But that's not the final answer. The final answer is your relationship with Christ. A friend of mine was telling me about a lady in his church that was kind of a know-it-all. You know, people who just think they know more than the rest of us. He said she was an expert in, she, he said she did know the Bible probably better than me. 
And he said, but she was very condescending with me, with everybody. He said, she would take notes when I preached. And if I simply misspoke, forget about a mistake. If I just misspoke, when she walked out of church, she would announce it to the world. He said, one Sunday, I, said, I mentioned a quote from Genesis 7, when in fact it was in Genesis 17. I knew the difference in the moment. I just, I just misspoke. So she comes walking out of church, and she says loudly, do you not know that quote is nowhere in Genesis 7? It's in Genesis 17. You would think a seminary-educated preacher would know the difference of this chapter and that chapter. You would think you would know where things in the Bible came from. And he said that people, you know, she just never gave you the benefit of the doubt. She took any opportunity to jump all over you and say, you don't know what I know. I said, well, how did you handle her? He said, I'll tell you what I wanted to do. I wanted to tell her the one scripture I'm sure of is Proverbs 21 says, it's better to live on the corner of a roof than with a quarrelsome woman. That one I'm sure about. I said, did you actually say that? He said, oh, no, no, no. He said, I just thought, he said, it would be rude to say it, and I didn't want to be rude, and I thought, you know, I don't mind being rude. I'm going to write that down. (laughs) That could come in handy later. I said, whatever happened to her? He said, she got sick. I said, you weren't praying for her to get sick, were you? He said, not much. No, no, no. He said, she got sick, went in the hospital, and had to have surgery. And he said, while she was in the hospital and after she went home, the church to whom she had always been condescending was the church. They went to see her. They mailed her cards. They brought her flowers. They brought her food. They took her to doctor's visits after the surgery. They were the church. He said, one day in her recovery, I went to see her. And I'm sitting in her living room, and she says, I might owe you an apology. And he said, I wanted to say, as a matter of fact, yes, ma'am, you really do. But he said, I was good. I said, whatever for? And she said, you need to understand, all my life, God gave me a good mind. I've always felt like my greatest strength was my intellect. I was always first in my class. I was always val- I was valedictorian. I thrived on making sure I knew everything there was to know about anything I was involved with. All through my working life, I felt like if I knew my subject, then I would get ahead. And it always worked. And she said, but what I've done is tried to apply that to my faith. At some level... I came to believe that if I knew more about God, then surely that made me a better Christian. If I knew more about Jesus, then surely I would know Jesus more. And she said, I've worked on that assumption all my life. But what I've come to realize in the last couple of months is how wrong I was. She said, because in the last couple of months, I've actually seen Jesus at work. 
I've seen him in the people that have taken me to the doctors. I've seen him to the people that came and sat to keep me company. I've seen it in the flowers. I've seen it in the cards. I've seen it in the food. I've seen it in the visits. And she said, I saw it the morning of my surgery when you came out and prayed. And what I've come to realize is all these people that I've gone to church with all these years, although I might know more about the Bible, they know Jesus in ways I didn't know was possible. And it's taken me a lifetime to learn that. It's not what you know. It's who you know. We live in a divided society these days. There are people who think they have all the answers. They have all the knowledge. And you see it their way or you're wrong. And in some cases, you see it their way or you're bad or evil. And for some of them, you can agree with them 80% or 90%, but they'll focus on the 10 where you're wrong because they think they know everything that needs to be known. Part of our call as the church is to let people know it's not what you know. It's who you know. The answer is not in a long list of proposition. The answer is in Christ. The solution to our problems is not my way versus your way, but is what is the way to which God is calling us in Christ Jesus? Because it's not what we know. It's who, who we know. Knowledge is okay. Learning is great. Only as it serves to deepen our relationship with the living God who came to give his life for us. There are reminders. You can see them. Do you know what the short version of the Westminster Catechism is? It says the chief aim of life is to know God and enjoy him forever. Not a long list of do's and don'ts, but to know God. A lot of churches for mission statement have a simple phrase, to know Christ and make him known. First and foremost, it's about relationship with God in Christ Jesus. One of my favorite paintings is of John Wesley, the original Methodist, as he is standing on a seashore, putting Thomas Coke on a ship and sending Thomas Coke to the new world to take the gospel. The picture is entitled, The Three Words That Were the Final Words Wesley Spoke to Coke as Coke set, set sail for the new world. John Wesley said, Offer them Christ. Not offer them information, offer them a booklet, offer them a list of do's and don'ts, offer them instruction on behavior. All, all that ultimately is going to be important. But first and foremost, three simple words. Offer them Christ. Paul says, don't be caught up in all these things and not in Christ. Because only in Christ does God the full divinity of God dwell. It's not what we know. It is who we know. Let us pray. 
holy and gracious God, you have chosen to reveal yourself to us in the person of Christ. Lord, let us not be distracted. Let us not be lured away from the importance of that relationship. Let us focus on knowing you and knowing you more and knowing you more. In Jesus' name, amen.